of being in a church plant and being in a theater where we have to adjust those things. So, so glad that you've come. If you're brand new, I'm Trevor. Uh, I, at this point, am almost the full-time pastor. We're under a week now to go in full-time. So that's, for those of you who are new, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Uh, but for those of you who have been here from the beginning, this actually is a huge deal for us. And we're excited and thankful and grateful that Jesus has continued to bless what we're doing. It's very obvious he wants us here. doesn't feel like that sometimes. Um, but th- through circumstances that we can't always see, I believe that Jesus has really given us his spirit and his favor here. A couple things that I want to, before we begin, want to just remind you about. Uh, first of all, I want to remind you we live in a great city that ha- now has a, a world-class football team, I think. Woo! For those of you who are huge Stamps fans, uh, big game today. Uh, that's a shout-out to some of the guys that I work with, that I'm always reminding them of the big game on Sunday. Um, but the other thing is that uh, we've got a couple of things coming up that are really important to us, and that is we've got a Christmas Eve service. I know I thought we were ahead of the game with the Christmas thing until I heard about the malls are already packed. Um, is Christmas getting earlier and earlier every year? Like pretty soon it's going to be like summer holidays and Christmas shopping. I'm sure of it. But Christmas Eve service, um, if you are part of Urban Grace, we want you to seriously consider um, sticking around for the service and, and being of help. Uh, we, if, if you want to help out, that would be great. And we, we kind of are looking for some sort of a critical mass because we're going to need a lot of things to uh, get this off the ground. So Christmas Eve service is going to be here at the theater. We have the theater for the day, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve day. And uh, service at 4 o'clock. Uh, we're going to try and invite as many people from the community as we possibly can. 3 o'clock actually now. I just changed that. Um, so, <laughs> see, we're, uh, we're flexible here. Um, is there, there's some humming in my ear, either that or I'm going deaf. Um, and as well, concert, that's next Friday night, right? Am I right? This coming Friday night. Okay, I was just checking because you, you switched the service time on me uh, so quickly. So uh, next Friday night here is 7, right? 7, right. We've got it really organized here, by the way. Right on. You hear it there first. Uh, and this is, this is a way that we want to bless the city. I, I do believe that in regardless of our football team, uh, we have a great city, and we are here to plant the gospel in the city, and that's our primary way, believe, of blessing the city. But we want to bless the city in other ways. There are lots of people that probably won't come to our church, but we want this to be a church that people are happy are here. We're hopeful that regardless of how long we are here, that people will say, well, I don't necessarily believe what they believe, but I'm so glad that they're here, and our, our community would be a mess if they left. I want that to be kind of our legacy. I hope that would be our legacy. That's my prayer and my dream for us. And one of the ways I think we can bless our city is providing artists with space to play. Um, Music isn't a super huge deal here yet. We're hoping that it will be. Um, And I think we all benefit from a great music scene. Am I right? Amen. All the two artists in the room said yes. Um, But that's one way that I think we can bless our city. And so please... uh, Carve out some time in your schedule to show up for that and meet some people in our community, meet some artists who may very well be the next people that are singing and leading you with songs of worship. So that's next Friday night. Doors open at 7.30. Place the concert starts at 8. Okay, with that in mind, let me pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to direct us in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians is continually hard-hitting and difficult to manage if you don't know the background to it. 
So we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit of God comes upon us, helps us to understand His Scripture and apply it to our hearts. So if you bow with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for providing us this great opportunity. I thank you for what you've done in our city. I thank you for bringing us here and giving us this great opportunity. And Jesus, I want to ask now specifically for your spirit to come in a way that helps us to understand your scripture. You said that your scripture was holy and active, living and active. And we believe, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit is active when he reveals the word and applies it to people's hearts. So if you'll open up our hearts this evening, teach us from your word, teach us through your spirit. And we ask for you to do this for your glory and in your name. Amen. Okay, as Simon read uh, Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses 8 to 20. And this is, we're, we're now number 11 uh, in our series. Um, and this is a series, just to catch you up to speed, this is a series called Gospel. I know, really, really creative name. But as we went through and studying the series together, we realized there really is not a better name for this series because that's what it's about. It's about the gospel. It's about people's response to the gospel. It's about how to apply the gospel. It's about how to defend the gospel. It's about the importance of preaching the gospel. And if you're here, if you're brand new, and if you're not new, you probably even need this reminding. The gospel is not something that is simply uh, a way of life. The gospel actually is news. The gospel is news. Just like today, when you hear the news that the Calgary Stampeders beat the world champion, or they'll, they'll say world champion, but it's like Canada champion, BC Lions, you didn't make a decision about how to apply that to your life. That's not something you apply. It's just news. And that's either good news to you if you're a Stamps fan, or bad news to you. That's the way the gospel is, but magnified by a billion that the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came to earth as God. He was first God, became man, lived among us, sinless, perfect, holy, and then in our place for our sins died uh, an unreasonably, um, unreasonably awful death. And he did that in our place. And he says, what you need to do to be in relationship with God is have Jesus Christ, my son... Pay for your sins that you may have once again right understanding because God is a holy God. And if He's holy, then He needs to punish sin properly just like a righteous judge needs to rightfully sentence sinners. Right? Rightfully sentence criminals. None of us are impressed with a judge who let things slide. We're not impressed with that kind of judge. And God is holy, which means set apart, which means perfect, which means perfectly sinless and so separate in His holiness that we literally, if we were to look at God, we would die. That's what God says about Himself. I'll reveal myself to you, but you can't even look me in the eye because my holiness will just kill you. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And yet, this holy God sends His Son to earth to pay for our sins and die in our place. And He offers this gift to us. This gift of His life in, in return for our lives. He says, I'll take your sin. You take my righteousness. That's what Luther would call the great exchange. And he said, through faith, I will deliver you and give you everything that my son had earned through this. I mean, that's it. That's the simple, plain gospel. Then Jesus died. He rose again, conquering death, providing us an opportunity to not just live abundantly in this life, but live forever in the next life. 
How many of you have thought about death and what happens after that? Jesus has an answer to that. Eternal life with him. Perfect eternal life with him. And he offers that to you through faith. Now friends, this is not a way of life. This is news that you simply believe or don't believe. And so even today, tonight I would ask you, if that is brand new for you, I would ask you to consider thinking about this the rest of the time and tuning me out. You'll be in good company because there's lots of people that will tune out for the rest of the service anyways. But seriously, get that straight before you move on to try to apply the gospel because you can't apply something that you don't understand and that you don't believe. That's a big misconception that people have about Christianity. Is it's, it's a way of life. It's something that you do and that you don't do. No, it's not. It's something that you believe and through faith you get freely from God as a gift. That's why it's called grace. In fact, it's so good that the Bible has a simple word for it, good news, called gospel. Now, if you've been in this series, that's about the 11th time I've said that in the message. And it's really important that I say that. And it's really important that I repeat that because some of us do not live as though this is true. And that actually is exactly what's happening in Galatians. Because Galatians is is actually a letter that's written to a group of churches that was planted by a man named Paul. He was an apostle. He was sent from God to preach the gospel. And from that, up sprung a, a number of churches. And these churches heard the gospel. They heard that good news. They believed it. They said, this is great news. We don't have to try and live the the perfect life. We don't have to obey God to earn favor from God. We just believe through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and we receive everything that we could ever have been offered. But then what happened is false teacher says, yeah, that sounds good, but really? Let's make some additions to that. So you believe that, but you should also do these things. And these things, which would be very foreign to us, the first one being to get circumcised. Does that sound foreign to you? It does to me, by the way. Sounds like a strange way to draw people into your church. Um, Seems like it would kind of repel people from church, actually. But that was the temptation because that was the mark that God had given to Jewish people that they now believed in God. Just like in in much, much less of a painful and obvious way, if you believe in God, raise your hand. That's, an, that's a way that you show that you believe in God. But just because you raise your hand does not mean that you believe in God. You can just raise your hand whether you believe in God or not. And so these teachers were trying to put all these signs in, and all these laws, and follow all these rules. Oh no, you've got to go back to all the rules. And here's what's happened in churches everywhere. Christians have told other Christians, yes, the gospel is the way you get into the family of God. But once you're in, you've got to work like crazy to stay in. And you've got to live this good life. And you've got to stop smoking and drinking and all these other things if you really want to love God. And we've monitored our love for God by looking at people's lives. How many of you have done that? You've seen somebody even light up a cigarette and you went, probably not as close to God as me. Or maybe you've seen them at a restaurant drinking a glass of beer and, and, and you're not one who drinks and so you're like, yeah, those people really need Jesus. Less than I do. You see, we do this all the time. And we're so bent this way, that's our first point. Is that the first point that Paul addresses in this text is that there's always this temptation for gospel drift. Always this temptation for gospel drift. And so it's so important for us, especially as we begin I still call us a new church. Technically, we're not a new church. 
I were two years old. Um, but I had a two-year-old, and that's a pretty new kid. So we're a new church. It's so important for us to get as a new church because we will have this temptation everywhere we turn to drift from the gospel, to get into rules. Like now that you're a Christian, you have to come to a city group. And if you don't come to a city group, you're not really a great Christian. Well, that's not necessarily true. Possibly true, yes. And we would hope that you join a city group. But that is not the definition of what's a good Christian. And we could be just as susceptible to these temptations, to follow the rules. How many of you monitor your spiritual relationship with God by what you do or by what you don't do? How many of you, when someone says at the end of your day, how was your day, and you respond, how was your day with God, and you respond great or bad, was dependent on whether you had devotions and prayed or not? How many of you monitored your relationship with God like that? Or because you didn't sin as much, you said, I have a good relationship with God today. But the day that you sin a lot, you I have a horrible relationship with God. If you have had that temptation, or if you have had that struggle, friends, You are susceptible to gospel drift. And you need to hear the gospel again. What what Paul is doing here is he's going to his Galatian friends and he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, he almost corrects himself there. He says, you didn't even even come to know God, you, you just came to be known by God. Meaning God initiated this Um, relationship with you? How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be? Once more you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I've labored in vain. Now here's a, a, a real big shift in the way Paul talks because he stops talking like this theological professor who's trying to correct the gospel in the church and he begins to sound a lot like a brother or a sister or even a father. Or a mother. You ever been in trouble with mom and dad and they don't come at you really hardcore? Maybe you've had a yell fest and it's two hours later and you're all settled down. And they're like, son, daughter, seriously, why are you doing this? Can you explain to me? This, this is the attitude that we find in the text. Paul's coming to them in this compassionate way. He's saying to them, brothers, sisters, seriously, do you really feel like being enslaved to these things are, is a great idea? He spent the whole last uh, paragraph talking about what a slave is and what a son is. And he says a, a slave is someone who, who has a master who is, who is ruthless, who doesn't care. And a son is someone who enjoys relationship. How many of you have good father situations? And you don't have to put up your hand. And you feel like a son or like a daughter, a real son or daughter. And you just feel blessed and you're like, I have a great family. That's a great relationship, right? No one says, boy, you should, you, should, uh, you should call your parents more. You should honor them more. It's easy to honor parents and fathers and mothers that do good. But how many of you are in work situations where your boss is just a total jerk? How easy is it to honor that person and follow that person? Anyone have a jerk for a boss? I, I've had a couple in my life. Presently, I don't have a jerk for a boss. I have a great boss. He's probably going to listen to this message. and So that's why I have to say that. If you want to know how I really feel once the mic is off, I'll tell you. No, I'm kidding. 
I've got a great boss, so I don't, I don't have those feelings, but I've had bad bosses in the past. I've had bad masters, if you will. And Paul is saying, you're, you're sons. This has been clarified. You're a son. Why do you want to be a slave again? And for those of you who have been caught in sin, that's exactly what it's like, isn't it? You ever felt like you just have to sin because you have no choice? You have no power, willpower over this? It's not enjoyable, is it? It's not enjoyable having uh, aggravating temptations so you feel like you just have to do it. I can't help myself. That is not an enjoyable relationship that you have. An enjoyable relationship is one where you willingly offer your, your, your servanthood. Like we sang, I want to be your servant. I want what I do to be pleasing to you. And Paul says, why do you, why do you want to be a slave? Why do you want to drift back? And this reminds me again and again that we've, we've just got this perpetual bent towards this gospel drift. That we just are, are, we're, we're wired to live religiously. If we don't have the gospel preached to us regularly, if we are not thinking carefully through the good news of the gospel that Jesus releases us and makes us His children. And we have everything through Jesus. And He's, he's a better Savior. He's a better master than any sort of master you could have. If we don't hear that and think through that and listen to it and soak in that and meditate on that, what will happen? We will drift towards law and religion. It will happen, friends, if you're not already there. And some of you don't know any other way. You literally think this is what the Christian life is like. I just got to slug this out. I hate this. I hate my life. I don't really care about obedience, but God wants it. So I guess I'll obey and he'll be happy and he'll stay off my back. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Bet you you share that faith pretty regularly. Hey, no, of course not. Because there's, there's, there's nothing to that that's helpful. And this is why Paul's just begging. Come on, friends. Come on, family. Come on, listen. Why? Why do you want to be a slave? You can, you're a son. Don't act like a slave. And the first principle that I see in this is that our, our default mold is this gospel drift that, that we, can, we can pinpoint and, and look at point at the Galatians all we want. But friends, we're seconds away from drifting from the gospel. Churches through the church history have just slowly faded away from the gospel. I found out this weekend that actually um, we're part of a denomination where this person said this about something in our... Uh, we're we're going to join up with the Mennonite brethren and uh, uh, join their kind of family of churches for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to get into any of them, but we're told that the, the first generation that forgets the gospel, the next generation assumes the gospel, and the last generation ignores the gospel. And so literally, uh, a church is three generations, maybe 30 to 40 years away from loving and following the gospel to total and complete apostasy, which means like you're worse than when you started. How many of you can think of a church denomination right now that has the name Christ in it, but has nothing to do with Christ right now? Anyone think of any denominations like that? They happen all the time. Where over time, if you neglect gospel and you just assume that you're, you're going to keep on with the gospel and that you're not going to drift, you're, you're literally 30 to 40 years away. This church is 40 years away. 
from not being a real church anymore at all. No matter how many people show up week after week, no matter how much money is given, no matter how many churches are planted, no matter how many people come to know Jesus. I don't want that. So the second part is, because we can drift, we've got to review the gospel all the time. This is where you've got to take responsibility. We have this thing called city groups. Just to explain, we do big and we do small at Urban Grace. Believe it or not, for those of you who are new, this is our big. Not very big, but it's big, right? Again, for those, of, for those six of you who started off in my father-in-law's house, this is huge. This is big. We also do small. Small is where we break off into smallish groups. I'm not going to say small groups anymore because some of them are actually getting big. But smallish groups where we review the gospel on a weekly basis. This is why we do this. Because we really believe that without this kind of activity, we're going to drift from the gospel. And so we want you to share life with other people who are struggling through the gospel, struggling to believe the gospel here, struggling to believe the gospel here, or celebrating the gospel's power here, or celebrating the work of the Holy Spirit here. You need to hear those stories because those stories are what fuel us toward the gospel, toward Jesus. It's the best thing we can think of. And we've actually eliminated every other program that we can possibly think of. Well, that's not true. We've not started any other program for that purpose. So that we can make gospel review groups, a.k.a., yes, shameless plug for city groups here, gospel review groups. That's what they are. And what happens is that when the gospel's power and the Holy Spirit's power really shows up, people start blessing the city. They start serving one another. They start caring for one another. They start caring for their neighborhoods and their city. They start praying for one another. They start hanging out together. Like, that's crazy. People that really shouldn't be hanging out are starting to hang out in our church. Why? Because the gospel's really starting to take root in some of the people's lives here. Because the real true gospel forms community and best yet allows community to continue to grow without, without having it break apart. And so what are you doing, friends? What are you doing to avoid drift? What deliberate steps do you need to take to continue to avoid gospel drift? Some of you are involved in city groups, but you're not involved in city groups. You show up and you take. And you receive. And you need to take the next step and to serve and to help others review the gospel. Start opening up your life so that others can see the gospel's work in your life. Some of you need to join a city group. And you're not doing so for I don't know what reason. But I'm challenging you to think about it. Some of you are really involved and you're tired because gospel work is really tiring. And I would say, keep going. Gospel reminds us that there's an end to this one day. There's a great Sabbath. It's called heaven. But for now, we review the gospel and we allow the gospel to prevent us from drifting away. And I want you to hear this very real temptation for us, this very real threat to our church right now. If you don't think it's important to, to me or to us, take Paul seriously in Galatians. He means it. He means it. Secondly, I think the text brings up gospel mission. You say, where is that exactly? Well, let me, let me just talk about this for a second. It may seem like 
Uh, there's some tangents to what Paul is saying, and yet it kind of feels that way to me. As I prepared, I was like, yeah, there's like six different kind of you know, points that kind of go all over the place. But it's, it's almost like, you know, when you have a heated argument with a family member, you know, you, you, you don't say focused. You ever notice that? You have a fight with a brother or a sister and you're like, yeah, well, you this. But, but then you also did this. And it's like not even related, but because you're all angry that you just keep going all over the place. In some ways, that's the way it feels with Paul. And so he says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. He's not angry about this. He's not frustrated that they hurt his feelings. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we entreat people. Sometimes we confront people because we just don't like them and it feels good to confront them. Ever, ever, have you ever done that? <laughs> or at least wanted to do that? Right? You confront people in things and you have conflict not because you really need confrontation but because you just don't like that person and it feels good to tell them they're less than you. He says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a body ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And know my condition was a trial to you. You did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. You received them as the most kind of highest possible authority around. As an angel or even as, as you would receive Jesus. What, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. I know it it does sound strange unless you know a a few things in the background. If I can explain it, Paul is first asking the people in in the church if they would be like him. Free in Christ. He's like, I became like you. He was a Jew who was preaching to Gentiles. So he... And it is kind of ironic that he says this. He's like, I, a Jew, I became like you, a Gentile. I live like you. I live free from the law. I'm a Jew. I, didn't, I, I really shouldn't have done that. In other places, when he wants to reach Jews, he follows Jewish law, not to obtain his salvation or earn his favor toward God, but to get a voice with other Jews because other Jews who did not know Christ yet would not pay attention to someone who is not following any of the laws. But if he didn't, he says, I'm following these laws, but I'm not doing it to earn God's favor, or earn God's salvation through this. Then he could have a voice. And so Paul is not confusing this, but he said, I, I'm a Jew. I became like a Gentile. He said, become like me, a Jew who's free. Become a Gentile who is free. That's what he's saying. And then he's talking a little bit about how when he came... Uh, preaching the gospel to the Galatians. Paul uh, came, and we're not sure, but it sounds a lot like he didn't really plan on landing and planting a church in Galatia. I wish that was on my resume. Eh, I didn't really plan on planting a church, but I started preaching, and next thing you know, I had a church. That's not my story. That's Paul's story. Right? Oh, would that be great. I accidentally planted a church. But Paul said he accidentally planted these churches. He didn't really plan on coming into Galatia as far as I understand the text. But because he got sick, he had to stop off somewhere and get some help. And so Paul, not one to lose any opportunities, decides, I won't just get served by some of these people. I'll preach the gospel to them. They'll get saved and start a church, and I'll come back and visit them later. And so Paul, coming into the the Galatian region, he's really, really sick. In fact, uh, some scholars would say he's so deformed that his eye was probably swollen shut. And that's why the text says, you receive me like you would Jesus. 
you received me so well, you probably would, you know, I felt like you would gouge out your own eye and give me, you know, not a swollen shut eye, but your own eye. He was that sick. I mean, that's sick. I mean, for us, most of the time, sick is like a cough. But he's like, sick, like you didn't recognize me. And some say this was a perpetual problem with with Paul. That's why in, in the book of Acts, actually, when he's preaching and he gets in the face of the high priest, he starts ranting at the high priest and the high priest goes, don't you know I'm the high priest? He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't realize you're the high priest because I couldn't see. Kind of like now, actually. Um, but he couldn't see the high priest. He was like, my eyes are half swollen shut and uh, I can't really see. And so you would have gouged out your eye and given them to me. Given the eye to me, if you could have. You treated me so well. And some of us would have a hard time preaching the gospel in those situations. And I'll, I'll make two applications from that little story there that Paul talks about. First of all, he became like them in order that they became like him. This is a great, great missionary principle. One that we value very highly here. Again, if this is brand new for you, I want to explain very clearly that we want you to hear the gospel and believe the good news. We don't want to convert you. We want God to convert you because it's the best thing, by the way. We believe this. I mean, I mean, don't even get, don't get offended by that. You know, I, I love the Stampeders and actually I will go out on the streets and say, I wish there were more Stampeder fans. I'm not ashamed of that. More so, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I think the gospel is the best news there is. It's freeing. That's what Paul says. But it's free. But, but Paul's principle here is that he didn't come in and just kind of say, well, you guys should start living like me. He became like them. He lived with them. And this missionary principle is really important that you, you, we want you to get saved. Come here. We, wa- we want you to get saved by God. But then we want you not to simply take and consume because actually being a Christian, a true Christian is to not be a consumer, but actually a giver. That's what a true Christian is. Someone who has received the gospel now gives the gospel to other people. And most of you are here because someone willingly gave the gospel freely to you. And your call is not to simply consume the rest of your life, but to go out and to give. But in order to do that, you notice that there aren't a lot of people in the city who love Jesus. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed the cold shoulder you sometimes get when you tell people you're a Christian and you go to church every Sunday? For those of you who are bold and courageous enough to do so. Have you noticed that not everyone lines up at your door and goes, tell me when you're going to church so I can catch a ride with you. If that has happened to you, let me know and I want to learn from you. Because that's not the general response in our city. And one of the reasons why I don't think there is a lot of gospel growth is because there's a lot of Christians that think the point of the gospel is for all of us to gather together and get away from sinners as much as possible. And we're trying to... We're trying, and, and that God is most pleased when we sin the least. That's actually not true. That's why the gospel is such good news. Since for the worst of sinners, Christ died. Paul actually says, I'm the worst sinner of you all. The point is not to be the least sinful in the city. The point is to proclaim the gospel as good news and then to show how it has impacted our life. But in order to do that, you will have to become like people. You'll have to show up to concerts when you're not really that much of a music person. 
you'll have to spend time in places that you're not used to spending time in. You'll have to hang out with people that you don't really care about hanging out with and, to be honest, don't want to hang out with. The one thing that, that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, surprise, the one thing they tried to label Jesus with was that he was a, he was a drunkard and a glutton. You know what a drunkard and a glutton is? A drunkard is someone who drinks too much as a glutton is someone who eats too much. Now, you can't be accused of being a drunkard if you've got iced tea. You can only be accused of being a drunkard if you hang out with people who get drunk all the time. You can only be accused of being a glutton if you hang out with people who eat too much. And that's all that they could get on Jesus. It's the only bad thing they could say. He heals people. Yeah, but he hangs out with drunk people and he hangs out with people who party all the time. And yet, Christ was sinless. Jesus did not sin in this. Now, I'm not saying that the point of being a missionary is to go out and hang out with as many drunk people as you can or to eat till your face is blue. That's not the point either. But the point is that some of those people will never hear the gospel until you hang out and become like them. And that's God's plan for your life. That's involved with God's plan to save you. He also plans to put you on mission. And some of that mission is in really crazy places. And it's going to be messy. And I want to give you permission. It's going to be messy. And there's going to be times where you go, I don't really know if I should be here or not. I think if you've never faced that, you probably never really hung out with sinners a lot. Now, I'm going to get some pushback here if you've grown up in a conservative church setting like I have. Because the initial thing is like, oh man, then you're going to... You're going to tempt people to sin and, you know, people are just going to sin a lot. And, you know, you're going to have a church full of drunkards and gluttons. I'm like, well, at least we're in the same camp as Jesus. So that's cool. And there's going to be places that you can't because of your conscience. That's fine. I'm not forcing this on you. I'm just saying that Paul went beyond what was comfortable. Do you know how much flack Paul got from the Jewish people? over him hanging out with Gentiles? Did you know that when the head of the church at that time, Peter, came and showed up, he couldn't even, he did not even have enough courage to be like Paul, and Paul had to call him on it. And say, oh yeah, well you hang around with Gentiles when there's just Gentiles, but as soon as Jews show up, you run. And you cower it out. And, and that's not the gospel, Peter. He had to get in the face of Peter and call him on it and say, friends, I really don't believe that the point of the good news of the gospel was for us just to gather and huddle together on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights at 8.15. The point was to hear the good news and then be so enamored with the good news, so in love with the person who gave us the good news that we would simply find every way possible to talk about this good news in every area of life. And so some of us need to step out of our comfort zone again. I know some of you have already, and that's awesome. And we have tons of great missionaries in this church. There's another challenge, though. Have you reached that threshold, and are you comfortable again? Are you, you just staying away from a lot of sinners because it's just, it's, it's, it's just draining for you? And friends, Paul says, become like me. I became like them so they would become like me because true freedom is not staying away from sin. True freedom 
is having sin tempt you and being able to say, no power. That's real freedom. Some of you really want that. Some of you want to be able to watch temptation go by and go, I'm not paying attention to that. No good. I don't, need to, I don't need to buy into that sin. That's real freedom, friends. So Paul says, I became like them so that they could become like me free. Secondly, I think the principle that we find here, I know I've got to hustle. If you're new, this is, this is actually a regular occurrence. Um, we can preach the gospel while in need. And this is, this is again, really unusual for some of us. Because we're trying to live such a good, holy life, have such a great witness that we think our best witness comes when we have all of our successes. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, oh, I just can't talk about Jesus because my life is such a mess. And I need so much help. How in the world can I tell somebody about Jesus when I'm the one who needs all the help? You ever feel that way? Anyone? Is there anyone out there who has ever felt that way? Yay, one person. That's awesome. 47 liars and one truth teller. That's awesome. And look at Paul. He comes in and he's got this like swollen pussy eye. And he's in need of help. He probably needs someone to change, you know, his his bed clothes. Because he's like so sick and overcome with fever. And what does he do? He doesn't say, well, I'll wait till I'm better and I'm over top of you and I'm better than you before I share the gospel. He says, I need it just as much as you. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. Believe me, if he can do it in my life, he can probably do it in yours. And so friends, what lie are you believing about your life that you think you have to have cleaned up before God can really use you to bless the city? What, what is there in your life that you're like, I would do this, but I'll, I'll, I'll get a hold of this sin or I'll manage this sin or I'll stop sinning more here or, you know, I won't, once I'm done this battle, then I'll begin to reach out. And the principle that we see from the text here is, no, that's not the way the gospel works. In fact, sometimes your best witness will come in your weakest moments when you feel least like you can share. It was amazing. I have a, 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 a bad, bad example that actually turned out good. Bad because I thought it would be horrible. I, I want, you know, I'm preaching this. We want to be a great neighbor. <laughs> we want to bless the city. And I'm, you know, I'm, we're living in our little fourplex and I'm renting a garage next door. And I, I just, I'm kind of an absent-minded, messy guy. And I leave my stuff on my neighbor's side that I'm renting. And, and she just writes me this, this text that just says, like, look it, shape up or I'm going to have to, you know, get rid of your lease here. I just feel like the worst neighbor ever. I feel like oh, I'm such a loser. Like, you know, I'm preaching all this, how we bless the city and, you know, do all these great things. And my neighbor thinks I'm a, a weirdo. Like, this isn't going well. And so I just write her an apology and say, you're right. And, she, you know, it's funny. She was preaching the gospel to me even, even in her text because she said, you said sorry before, but nothing has changed. You keep doing it because I keep being absent-minded. And I keep thinking, oh, you know, my neighbor will be like God and be graceful and mop up all the mess. And that's not true. She's a good landlord who has rules. And so I thought, oh, I've blown my witness. (laughs) What was amazing is that, you know, I was so sheepish about talking about this. and, and, And 
what's interesting is when I talk to her, it's the only and first time I've ever been able to tell her about what I do for a living in my church. And God used what I thought was my horrible weakness that would detract from my witness. He used it to be able to start a relationship about, oh, you're planning a church. And that's what she said. Oh, I had no idea. Obviously, from the way you mess up my garage, I had no idea that this is what you do. She's a great gal. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not knocking her at all. Um, but I, I thought it would be a horrible witness, and it turns out it's the only opportunity to tell her about anything that I've been doing. And friends, that's how God works. He loves to show His glory in your weakness. He loves it. Because what does it do? It brings Him glory and, and takes glory away from you. And that is the point of our lives, by the way. The trajectory of our life is... God is working to take away everything that you've done to mess up the gospel and to put in through you ways that show how he has done it all. That is the work of the gospel. Lastly, gospel relationships. Early in Galatians, we had talked about the the courage to get in people's faces, how, how we need to have some courage like Paul to get in the face of the Peter's and just challenge them with the gospel. But I think some of us have this idea and th- those of us who like to fight, if you've ever watched UFC fighting and found yourself kind of going like this while you watch it, for those of you who are like that, you, you heard that and you're like, yes! Love the courage! Ready to go smash someone in the face with the Gospel. And this text is for us. Because Paul comes and he's so gentle and he says, no, 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 no. The point isn't to smash you in the face with the gospel. The point is to to talk kindly and considerately to you. And and some of you just need to to soften up and be softened up. And that you don't need to just be the gospel police walking around saying, gospel minus there, gospel plus here. I've got the gospel you don't hear. It's not the point of this. The point really is to do confrontation, but then in love, care for people. And, and, and this, this is almost more for those who are receiving it because that's what it says. For I testify, or sorry, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. For those of you who actually had children, you're probably like, okay, Paul, a little too much, a little over the top. But he said, I wish you could be pre- I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm just perplexed about you. I'm in agony here. Like a woman's in agony in childbirth, I'm in agony in watching you wanting to live this slavery life. And I think for, for those of us who... Some of us have, have kind of come. We love when people tell us how the gospel frees us, but we don't love us when people confront us about things that we need, need confronting in our lives. And we're very resistant to that. And that's what happened to the Galatians, he's saying. He's saying they could take all the good things of the gospel, but then what happened is they heard some bad things and it seemed like Paul was their enemy. He's like, have I become your enemy because I've had to say tough words? And he's like, I wish I could be with you in person. How many of you have written an email and sent it and then went, man, when I read that out loud, that sounds horrible. That sounds really, really mean. Right? Or a text or something like that. And I I do this sometimes. I'll respond with a quick text like K. (laughs) 
It'll be like someone pouring out their heart, and I'll be like, Kay. And it's like, it sounds so cold when you read it out loud. It's like, I wish I could be in person to say, you know, okay, okay, okay. It's okay. That's what Paul's saying. I wish I could be with you and you could hear me. I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry with you. I don't want to bash you over the head with the gospel. I don't want, I just don't want you to live as a slave. I want you to live as a free heir of Jesus Christ, like you were designed to live like. And some of us have such trouble hearing the bad with the good. We hear everyone talk, you know, we can't hear it enough. Oh man, you're really encouraged. Oh, you're really gifted here. Oh, you are super helpful here. I don't, anyone who's like, oh, shh. I don't like hearing those things. Some of you say it, but I know what's going on in your head. Like, keep going, though. Keep going. (laughs) But some of us have a tough time when someone says to us, like, I don't think you're believing the gospel like you need to believe the gospel. Like, oh, yeah, those people just have it out for me. Those people just hate me. Those people, they don't want them. They don't want me in their city group. They don't want me in the church. And friends, don't fall into this temptations that the Galatians were that that really when people love you, the people that really love you will tell you. And they will say it in a gentle, humble way. That's how you can usually tell. If someone comes to you and they're like, man, I just, this is hard for me to say and I don't want to say it, but I need to because I'm convicted by God and His Spirit. And I I just, I want to say this to you and you just, I want to talk about it, but I want to say, I, I think you're missing the boat here. Don't be resistant to that, friends. That's going to happen. In fact, In order for the gospel not to drift in your life, you're going to get corrected by someone else. Because let you, let me tell you about a little secret. You are probably not going to be the best person to watch gospel drift in your life. Someone else will be able to see it easier. How many are married and your spouse is way better than you at seeing gospel drift? I mean, it's not even close. It's like, I'm doing awesome. How am I doing, hon? You could probably, you know, be home more, maybe. You could probably teach the gospel to the kids more. You could pay more attention to me. And I almost guarantee you that you will have a harder time seeing yourself. And some of us are really stubborn. Like, nope, I am in charge of my gospel drift and nobody is going to tell me how I'm drifting. And that's just not true. And you need community around you to reflect that you are way more selfish than you thought you were. How many of you just discovered, like, I am not that selfish, then you got married? Right? Or you, even you started dating. Or you started living with a roommate even. You're like, I'm not selfish at all. And then you got a roommate and you're like, man, like, dude. You're, what? It starts there and you're just like, actually, I'm a pretty selfish person. Then you have kids and it's, it just gets ridiculous. I mean, you're just like, man, I am the most selfish person on the planet. Especially when you have a little, like, like the moment from like you don't have a baby to you have a baby, you're like, wow. Suddenly I'm completely responsible for somebody else's life or they die. It rips the selfishness out of you, sometimes ruthlessly. For those of you who haven't had kids yet, you're like, oh, sweet, that, I'm never having kids. <laughs> but this is God's plan. This is why He gives kids so often. And you know what? They're a great blessing. Especially when they grow up and start bathing themselves. It's awesome. <laughs> and changing their own diapers. They don't do that, but 
eventually they go to the bathroom themselves and you're like, okay, it's worth it. But in that initial stage, you're like, oh man, this is so tough. Like someone calls and like, can we go out tonight? You're like, I got to put a nap down and change a diaper and clean up the fish crackers and the couch. And, and, and community does that to you. And others will be better at seeing gospel drift in your life. And you need them, whether you believe me or not. And my challenge to you is, when you feel someone helping you from the gospel, I'm not talking about those people that are just jerks and they're just trying to cause fights. I'm not talking about those people, actually. You can usually sense those people. If you don't, you have friends who can sense those people. But the people that come alongside you and go, I've got to go for coffee with you and I've got to tell you about something that's really bothering me and I hate doing this and I don't even want to do this, but I need to say this. Listen carefully to that person. They love you enough to care for your soul and drift. Don't push them away because what will happen is eventually you won't have anyone want to do that in your life. That's what will happen. So some of you, the way you prevent gospel drift, drift is like pushing yourself into community, making yourself open, telling your story. Showing people your stuff. Giving them an eye into your story because they want to help you and love on you. And help correct you, not because they don't like you, but because they love you. And lastly, you see this, this, um, you see this church, these people, what's happening is these people are so concerned about followers. So they're like, I know how we get a big church. We just like tell Paul that he's you know, this, and then we'll get these kind of followers and then we'll have a bigger church because the people, the Galatian, the false teachers, they were, they were depending upon the, the, the critical mass as to how that showed that God was evidently working with them. There are pastors like this still today. They, they really think that the size of their church is a direct result of God loving them. That's how God shows it. Oh, well, God couldn't possibly not love me. I have 4,000 people in my church like He clearly loves me because he's done all this through me. That's actually not true. God has worked through through some horrendous sinners who aren't even Christians. Because he cares more about his glory than about them. And, And there's this temptation for us as a church plant to be so concerned about the critical mass and the size of our church and people coming to our church. The goal, friends, is not to have people come to our church. The goal of Urban Grace is for people to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Sure, we hope people come to our church because we want to help them. But friends, we've got to be real happy when people become Christians and serve in other churches. Because one of the things that the gospel won't allow is for barriers. The true gospel won't allow barriers. In fact, the gospel destroys barriers. Racial barriers. Sexual barriers. Emotional barriers. Cultural barriers. And some of us, as churches, we've, we put up these barriers like, well, they're not really Christians unless they come to our church or whatever. Someone's telling me a story today about someone, you know, come to our church. It's like, okay, go to your church. That's fine. As long as you love Jesus, that's what we're hoping for. And I think this shows up very clearly in the text, this temptation to get caught up in this. And it's a real temptation for us as a church. Because we're a new church and we're growing way faster than we thought we would. And sometimes we get blindsided by this idea that the more people that we have in this church, the more God loves us and the more successful we are being. That might not be true. I believe we'll be successful when we work hard with what God has given to us. 
when we care about the people that God does bring to us. But when we hold with open hands and say, actually, we're kind of hoping people won't stay here too long, but we'll eventually go out and be great missionaries somewhere else too. That's our big hope. And I really mean that. I work through that regularly in my own heart because this is a big temptation for me. And I think we need to think carefully about when you're discipling someone, are you more concerned that they come to your church and your city group than you are about them meeting Jesus? Is that real for you? If it is, then you need to simply repent of that and say, Jesus, I don't want to be like the Galatian false teachers. I want to be more about your kingdom. And you've got to root out this envy in my heart. And you've got to take this away because this is not gospel. And if this keeps root in my heart, I will just drift. And some of us need to call each other on and say, are you more concerned about the size of our church or your city group than you are about people actually meeting Jesus? And we've got to receive the good with the bad. And we've got to do what we can to not drift from the gospel because the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what our, our table here is about. We tend to try and talk about what we're doing here as Urban Grace is a family. It's a family unit that's trying to act like a family in family units. We're trying to love each other like you would love a true functional family. And what do families do regularly? Well, they gather together, they talk together, they serve one another, and they eat together. And this is our meal. This is a family meal. Jesus said, whenever you gather together in my name, remember me and what I've done for you. This is what he has done for us. And it's represented in the bread and the wine. He has broken his body on our behalf. He has suffered a brutal, brutal death so that you could live. That's symbolizing the bread. He has shed his blood. The Bible also says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Meaning in order for sin to be truly paid for, somebody had to die. It used to be like animals, lambs, bulls, doves, things like that. And then Jesus came and said, I'll be the lamb. I'll be the ultimate sacrifice. I'll shed my blood. It's a sacrifice once and for all. And his invitation to us is, take it. And so if you're not a Christian here tonight, I would say don't partake of this because there's no magic in these symbols. You can't take these and become a Christian. I'm saying ask God through faith to save you, change your heart, put you on mission, and then take of the family meal. And for those of you who consider yourselves Christians and know and are assured by the Holy Spirit, come and take and participate and, and work through what the text is telling you, what the Holy Spirit is telling you through the text. Some of you will have to repent. Some of you need to hear God's encouragement. But regardless, let's all eat from the, from the table. Let's all eat the family meal together. And our tradition is simply the first person up, break, hopefully uh, break it in half and, and then partake as you feel so led, and, and Drew and Joel will lead us in some singing.